In this series, Herd Strategies President Denise Hurd connects with industry leaders and community members to discuss the challenges they face within their fields. Join us bi-weekly to learn all about how they see us. Hello, my name is Denise Hurd, and welcome to another episode of How They See Us. Happy Black History Month! If you're just tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for joining us. If you are a returning listener, thank you for your continuous support. For those of you who don't know, How They See Us is a series where we invite industry leaders to discuss how they navigate public perception challenges within their fields. In today's episode, we will be joined by expert historians, Dr. Charlene Fletcher and my own sister, my sister, Dr. Dawn Hurd-Clark, to talk about the history of black history and the importance of knowing it. I have personally had the pleasure of listening to these two talk. And let me tell you something, you are in for a real treat. The passion that these two have for African-American history, for black history, and the work that they do to preserve our history is so, so captivating. So, Dr. Fletcher, thank you for coming to the studio today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Oh, sidebar, if you are a regular listener, you know Dr. Fletcher's been here before, and you know she don't act right, so I'm going to need all of us to work together to keep this going down the path because she's very passionate about her work, and like I said, she don't act right sometimes, but you know we're going to get the story about black history out of her today. And then also joining us via StreamYard, streaming in all the way from Florida, we have my sister, Dr. Don Hurd Clark. Hey, Don. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, Don, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell a little bit about yourselves. But Don is really like, like I really am smart, but she's a real smart one out of the D and D duo. So, I'm really looking forward and glad that she's here with us today. So, um, Dr. Fletcher, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um. Well, thank you for having me, number one. Um, My name is Charlene Fletcher. I am a historian of um, the 19th century, uh, African-American people, specifically black women, uh, but also a historian of crime and confinement. And I focus on um, the U.S. South, uh, as well as I have a transnational approach. um, And I look at uh, Italian migration as well with my newer project. But... I am a professor of, assistant professor of history at Butler University, um, and I am also a community scholar in the Center uh, for Africana Studies and Culture at Indiana University, Indianapolis. Is that what it's called? This IUBUI, week? yeah. yeah the, no, it's, it's, it, it's, did it change? It changed. It's IU, IU Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Fletcher. Uh, <laughs> so, I, know, I get it. Whatever's on your paycheck, that's what you that's call it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I don't know. okay. They so, changed their name. They did. They did. <laughs> so, Dawn, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Dawn Hurt Clark, um, and I teach history at Hillsborough Community College in Tampa, Florida, specifically the Ybor City campus. Um, I did my research for my dissertation on Reconstruction, and my research has evolved into studying rural African-Americans, especially in the state of Georgia. So most of my research is centered on Georgia. Uh, I also participate, um, I'm a historian with the city of Tampa for a project they have called Soul Walk, and they have an African-American history, arts, and cultural trail, and I actually happen to write on sports history. 
That's awesome. So, see, I told you she was smart. So, anyway, so as you all know, and you all corrected me before we got started, we were celebrating Black History Month, and that's why we're doing this broadcast during the month of February or this podcast during the month of February. But we really celebrate Black History this year, 366 days, as you all corrected me that it is a leap year. So, in your words, why? do you think the study of African-American history is so important and relevant to everyone? And either of you all can start with that one. Well, Dr. Fletcher, I'll go ahead and start. Mm -hmm. That's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, I think, um, or what I know, is that African-American history is American history. And how can you talk about the history of a nation excluding people? And so it's relevant to everyone's lives the contributions of African-Americans to the United States of America. Um, America would not be where it is now without the contributions of African-Americans. And so when you talk about American history, you need to be inclusive. And part of being inclusive is including the contributions of people of African descent. That makes sense. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Black history, African-American history is American history. You're absolutely right. Dr. Fletcher, do you want to add to that a little bit? Um, I completely agree with my dear friend Dawn. Um, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's even more important um, that we give attention to Black history, especially in 2024, simply because it's under attack. Yeah. Um, there are... Uh, and Indiana is one of those spaces. I think Florida takes uh, oh, the yes, lead yes, in yes, the attention yes. that it's getting um, with uh, attempting to not just water down black history, but to completely Can we eliminate, eliminate, it, eliminate to yes. And, and yes. to say things such as, you know, well, our ancestors weren't enslaved. It was, you know, beneficial for them to engage in this kind of labor and all of this type of foolishness um, really eliminates, uh, it erases uh, the stories, it erases the legacies um, of our people. Um, and again, as Dawn said, you cannot talk about this country and not talk about um, the, the oppression, but also the triumphs mm -hmm. uh, and the things we have created in this space, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. things that the world um, benefits from right and so i think that if if anything even more so in 2024 it's even more important because there are um concentrated efforts to eradicate our history yep i agree you know you just what you just said actually takes us into the next question that i have for you all because there have been a lot of key moments in our in our history of or movements even in our history that have been led by African-Americans. And so I would love to hear from you all some of those key moments in time that you feel as, as though have had a very profound impact on our nation or even the world. Can you, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Well, an aspect that I would talk about um, and unfortunately, it's negative, but I think it helps people understand um, the true African-American experience. Um, when you talk about the 13th Amendment and slavery being abolished in 1865, a lot of folks are like, well, slavery in 1865, why do Black people have complaints? However, if you look at the African-American experience from Reconstruction on, from Black codes, um, even to Black men getting the right to vote with the 15th Amendment in 1870. Uh, 
those are going to strip away at African-American rights. Um, Jim Crow laws, why they're so crucial, sharecropping, is that they extend well into the 20th century. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is, it extends in the niece, our parents' lifetime. Right, right, so right. So basically telling those older African-Americans is that what they experienced didn't really exist mm -hmm. when that is a lie. Right. So just a lot of people are like, slavery ended in 1865. Um, I don't know why Black people complain, um, but let's look at what really happened and how those laws are implemented in Reconstruction or shortly thereafter extend well into the 20th century that impact African-Americans financially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, socially, politically. Mm -hmm. um, and well, so- Well, Don, even like the Voting Rights Act of 1965, like, you know, we know some people in our family that were born that year. So that means that there are people that we know that, you know, were born the year, like our parents didn't, weren't, when they got married, my parents, our parents could not vote. They could not vote no. until you, like I was walking the earth. So that's crazy to me. Yes. Absolutely crazy. So that's yes. right. You are right. It's also worth mentioning that the Voting Rights Act of 1965 has to consistently be reauthorized. Which makes no sense like, to me whatsoever. Yeah. Every, every couple of years, that. I got to come and ask you, can I go vote? Mm -hmm. Can I? And then, yeah. and then you, that's it why is. people get mad when these people don't vote. It's like, do you understand that we have to renew these this every couple of years? Mm -hmm. And y'all acting crazy not going to vote? Yes, but it's constantly under attack. Right. Um, they're attempting to chip away at it to have, quote unquote, free and fair elections. Mm -hmm. um, I use that in, in quotation marks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, Don, I even remember that time that you lost your wallet and your driver's license and all that we the hoops we had to jump through to validate your identity so that you could get a new driver's license. Remember that? Remember mm -hmm. that all that stuff, the downloads I had to do, all the searches I had to do to prove all of the residences that you had held for like maybe a 10 or 15 year time period. Mm -hmm. That's, yes. that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Is there anything else that you feel that, um, well, let me, let me ask this question instead, because we talked about some of the, the movements or things that have impacted our history. But let me ask you all something about, do you feel as though there are aspects of Black history or African-American history that have been overlooked over the years? What are we missing? What are we not talking about that we need to raise attention to? All of it. All of it. Um, all of it. I think that um, it's important to note when you're looking at the historiography so this you know the um how the field has changed right. who's researching what who's talking about what those kinds of things um when we look at black history uh and we look at the histories of black women black mm. women's history doesn't really become a subfield of the larger until the 1980s with folks like darlene clark hine and deborah gray white um, and so there are scholars who are coming um, into the fore in the past 10, 15, 20 years um, who are doing more of that work mm -hmm. and more of that work needs to continue, especially when it comes to the history of um, what I think is one of the things I think is important, the history of um, black childhood, mm -hmm. um, black girlhood. And there are historians who are writing about that, folks like Lakeisha Simmons, um, who are writing about black, <clears throat> excuse me, 
what it's like to grow up black. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so um, Mm -hmm. I think that that is um, necessary. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to say, though, just to go back to what Dawn was saying with regards to the 13th Amendment, um, where, yes, it's a watershed moment, but if you read the Constitution, and most Americans do not. Right, right. um, When you read the amendment, the amendment says, just like every other amendment to the Constitution, It says that um, slavery is abolished in the United States and its territories uh, except for as punishment for a crime. Um, So if you've been duly convicted, this is a potential um, punishment for you. Mm -hmm. Also keep in mind that once the 13th Amendment was ratified and put into motion, oh, Section 2 of the amendments of Congress shall have the authority to uh, enforce that amendment, and all amendments say that. Mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. make a difference what it is. But it's important to note that when that particular um, amendment was ratified by the states, mm-hmm. um, that's all it said. Mm-hmm. There were no laws passed in mm-hmm. 1865, 1866, to say slavery, it, it is a crime mm-hmm. to enslave someone. Which is why you see issues now, now that we're talking about at the state level, mm-hmm. because while the, these amendments were put in place, there was no way to. It doesn't become there's a no criminal, criminal statute. statute at the mm-hmm. state level. No. You don't start to have these conversations mm-hmm. until the 1930s, 1940s, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have so many people that are swept up in the South specifically under mm-hmm. things like convict leasing mm-hmm. and then just the horrors of sharecropping. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are letters in the National Archives in D.C. where folks are, black people, are writing to folks like uh, FDR, Frank, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and they're saying, my loved one is in some turpentine camp somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. is, what is this? Mm-hmm. I need help. Mm-hmm. And so it's not until you begin to see um, these peonage cases mm-hmm. uh, in the South uh, where peonage is illegal. You can't, you can't uh, confine somebody because they owe you a debt. You can't work them to death because they owe you a debt. It's indigent servitude? Was similar. It? Okay. Similar. You can work yourself out. Indentured servitude has a particular time period. Ah, got you. Typically. Okay, okay. And so at the end of the indenture, and then you're, you're free, which usually is. never happens, though, does it? That's slavery. Okay, got you. Indentured got servitude, you. most okay. of those contracts historically are anywhere from seven to ten years. So when you hear people say, oh, well, we were enslaved too, you tend to hear that, especially when folks talk about Irish history. They, a lot of that was indentured servitude. Got you. It's a, it's a fixed period of time. Gotcha. Whereas enslavement is a condition that's imposed for life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so in this country, uh, slavery was codified based on race, and mm-hmm. the status was instituted or codified in, in uh, the 1600s when mm-hmm. Virginia was a colony, that the status of, your status runs through the mother. Mm-hmm, so if mm-hmm. your mother was enslaved, you, you two were two are enslaved. enslaved. Yeah. And so right. there's no contract there, because if right. you... You know, people enter into contracts. Right. People give consent for right. contracts. When you're enslaved, you're there's no right, right. Which is yeah. So there's there's your differences. But anyway, 
I hope y'all were taking notes. That was a lot of information. That was a lot of good knowledge that she just dropped down on you. So I hope y'all were paying attention. If not, hit rewind, hit pause, go out and get some lined paper and your crayons, hit rewind, and you start taking notes and write this stuff down because this is better than any classroom education we could ever get when it comes to our history. So thank you for that. That was, yeah, your crayon. Sometimes you need a crayon to just bring. Your green pen. Get your red, black, and your green pen. Okay, say it loud. I'm blacking up proud. So, Dr. Dr. Herd Clark, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Because that was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, walkthrough and clarification of these words that we all kind of use interspersed when we are talking about black people and our history. So is there anything else you'd like to add to that narrative? Um, I'll elaborate a little bit on sharecropping. Um, and, and with sharecropping, um, what people were sharecroppers and there were white sharecroppers, mm-hmm. majority mm-hmm. of them are going to be African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, what they hope they do and how sharecropping works is you work somebody else's land. And then what you do is you split the crops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about in my classes, how the sharecropping contract that's going to merge after 1865, folks who are just coming out of slavery, if you sign a contract and you don't know how to read and you can't do math, do you know what you're signing? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to write your name, an X is a legal signature. Mm-hmm. So you write your X because you can negotiate one thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'll get 30%, the landowner will get 70%. But all that matters is, is what's written in the contract. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot read and you cannot do math mm-hmm. and you sign your X, you were legally bound. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And there are instances of sharecropping contracts still being in existence because what it ends up being is a cycle of debt. Mm -hmm. Because usually you have to borrow from the plantation store until your harvest comes in. Um, On the plantation store, the prices are high, the interest rates even higher. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, what you do is you end up in debt. There are okay. Now wait. Say that one more time. I would say that because okay. some of us are there are you know modern day sharecroppers. If you think about it, if you really keep okay. it one hundred, okay. if you well, keep it well, one hundred, even though you read it, did you understand what yeah. you read and what that oh. meant and what that interest no. rate meant and how long no. you would be obligated and how much more you would be paying than what you borrowed? So there's mm-hmm. a real updated modernization form of sharecropping that we as Black people are living through right now. So mm-hmm. go back and explain that one more time and then take us so back into what you were, you were talking about. Um, you have a landowner. And it's usually going to be uh, former slave owners who have these plantations, but they no longer have their enslaved Africans to work for free. Right. And I will say, um, I think the history of America is tied to labor. Mm-hmm. And we are always in search of free or cheap labor. Right. So for white folks who had plantations in the South, after 1865, um, they don't want to pay for labor that they've had free for 400 years. Right. So how can we develop a system so we have free labor continuously and sharecropping is going to be part of the way they did so. Mm -hmm. So you had a landowner and then you have folks who need work. Mm -hmm. So the landowner and the sharecropper enter into an agreement with each other. Um, Usually the split um, 60-40, 70-30. Um, but what's going to happen to a lot of freedmen, since they could not read and write and do math, mm-hmm. they negotiated verbally one contract. And something else was written on the paper. That's right. What's written on the paper mm-hmm. is what's going to be legal. Mm-hmm. 
And so you can't read and you can't do math. And so you mark your X, you've signed a share crop that gives a landowner 95%, the person doing the labor 5%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you're going to see with most of these sharecroppers, um, even though people tend to have their own um, gardens, um, slaughter their own animals, you still had to get certain provisions like coffee, um, flour, cornmeal, sugar, things of those natures. You would get them from the plantation store. Mm-hmm. In the plantation store, the prices are incredibly high. Mm-hmm. Um, the interest rate is going to be even higher. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be designed to mm-hmm. keep you in debt, mm-hmm. to keep you tied to the land mm-hmm. so you cannot physically leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they still have another free or very cheap source of labor. Mm-hmm. That and is now. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Which is now, quote, legal. Because you have this contract. So now it's a legal and binding relationship that has been established. And some of these sharecropping contracts, even though they became illegal, Mm -hmm. um, still appearing. Now, this is going to be rural areas. I mean, really, really rural areas Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, as late as the 1960s, early 1970s. Because as a landowner, I'm going to tell you they're violating your civil rights. No, of course not. Because I'm getting my labor for free. I'm not. Come on now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, go cut it to my pocket. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Thank you for that. Thank you both. Thank you both for opening this conversation, having and explaining that to us, because like you said, black history is American history, but I don't remember sitting in a classroom and hearing what you all just described explained in that way. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Um, We have a few minutes left. And so I'm going to put out a question to you both, and I'm going to use the rest of the time we have together to talk about this, this, because we are seeing an attack on our history. We're seeing an attack from all different directions, from a, a a legislative perspective, to a community perspective, from a healthcare perspective, everywhere we're seeing these attacks on black history and the accurate portrayal of our history. Mm -hmm. And so as history professors and as black women with families and children and relatives, how do we How do you all ensure there is a fair and accurate portrayal of American history when we see laws being put in effect that actually are saying that there's no need or it's not real, it's a fallacy? How do you make sure that your your portrayal, your involvement in our community impacts social perceptions of black history and, and combats these stones that are being thrown in our direction. There's a quote I saw it on the internet one day, and I love it, and I live by it, and I hold other people account with it. Um, if you wanted someone to write fondly of you, you should have behaved better. Mm. I like that. I don't know. I saw it online, <laughs> so I don't know who said it. But if you wanted someone to write fondly of you should have behaved better and that's what history is no matter what you did mm-hmm. typically we can find some sort of account of it right in the archive right, right. and not just archives you know 
people tend to think historians only play with old papers and old books. I used to think that all the time. Mm -mm, no, because it wasn't used, my thing. I, I know. I know. But, but, I, but it was like dull, you know. But it's really but not. It's not. It's not. I know. If I know. You I know. Read I know. What's on the paper? Is like that part the reading part? I, I understand. <laughs> I, I understand. But it's not just the papers or the books. People leave behind stuff. Everything well, yeah. that is sitting here in front of us, it, it's a, it's material culture. Right. And you can learn things from the stuff that people actually once had. Mm -hmm. And so when people like to challenge and say, oh, it wasn't slavery, it was forced to labor, it was, it was a special kind of labor or what have you, we have plantation ledgers. We, well, have we have slave ne right. uh, narrative, right. enslaved narratives. We have all of these things. And I think what's important is that people understand there is a difference between history and memory. Mm. It is not the same thing. That's right. History, history is a chronological uh, series of events mm -hmm. that you can um, uh, back up with physical evidence. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is what happened. Right, right. That's the documentation. That's the documentation. That's those are those ledgers, mm -hmm. those Senate records, right. those uh, vital records, census records, all of the things that we use to piece together these broader stories of what happened. Those are those blueprints of the Middle Passage Absolutely. where we see the bodies underneath the Absolutely. bowels of the slave ship. Exactly. That's history. So right. when you tell me slavery wasn't a thing, but I can show you. Right that this took place. I think that we still have to just be continue, uh, be brave and vigilant enough to continue to push that forward mm -hmm. and to fight back against the shenanigans that, that the legislature <laughs> and other, right. other you know, conservative groups put forward. Mm -hmm. uh, because what you learn in school tends to be the narrative that of they your, put right. forward. Well, you know, it's interesting, interesting that you say this. Of course, Dawn, you weren't born yet probably. But I was really little, I mean, a little girl. And uh, mommy and daddy told me a story as an adult that I came home from school and they did the, you know how they were, like, what did you learn in school today? <laughs> and so they asked me that at maybe five or so. And my response was, I learned Martin Luther King was a communist. So, you know, oh, that, huh, I'm, okay. sorry. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And so, you know, uh, mommy wasn't having that. So, mm -hmm. you know, off to school, we went the next day where, you know, mm -hmm. she got that corrected, but you're absolutely right. The things that we tell people or we teach or try and create a narrative for that are just, you know, outrageous is swimming amongst us, you know, every day of but, our lives. And so Don, I'm a kid. What's up? But that's, that's fascinating right in and of itself. No because kidding. But that's what, yeah, in 2014, yeah. you'd think that Dr. King was next to Jesus with the way that the memory is put right. forward. Right, exactly, and exactly. But at the time, exactly. but at the time, at the time. Was public enemy number one. Right, right, and right. And so that's, right. The piece, that's the exactly. piece that's not always taught. Exactly. History versus memory. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Don, is there anything you want to add to answer that question in the few minutes we have left? Um, I would just say uh, when students take my class, mm -hmm. my wow. American history class, um, it is infused with all histories, including African-American history. Thank you for doing that. Um, and thank you for take, being courageous and doing that also. Thank um, you. And I will say it is incredibly courageous in the state of Florida now. Yes, um, yes. Because in the state of Florida... Um, we'll be praying for you, girl. controversial. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say giving credit to my students um, mm -hmm. in my school... Uh, okay, I hope they don't 
see this podcast and be like, we got to X this course out. Uh, <laughs> I do run two sections um, of African-American history every semester online mm -hmm. and they always make. So there is desire amongst the people, mm -hmm. but at the state legislature level from the governor's office, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. there's just interesting discussions taking place. Mm -hmm. I will mm -hmm. say y'all might not know this, um, but in the state college system, in Florida, which is the two and four year colleges, not the universities, but it's moving towards the universities. They have taken sociology out of the core because it's indoctrinating people on woke theories. Um, and so what I have a concern about is students in the Florida education system coming out, not being competitive with other people around the world mm. because they have a false narrative mm -hmm. uh, or they're not going to have a complete narrative. Mm -hmm. and so when you enter into the global setting, which is where we all live and where we all work, right. uh, I'm concerned our students will be at a disadvantage mm -hmm. because they mm -hmm. know. But what I will also say is because of the pushback, that's what gets me to continue doing research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank God. Because if you don't write the story, they will assume folks of African descent had no role. Right. Um, and so that's what gets me continuing to do research um, about mm -hmm. these individuals mm -hmm. who are absolutely fascinating, making huge contributions. They mm -hmm. might be in the local community, but huge contributions. So not necessarily just on a national scale. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't write that story, they will assume, mm -hmm. and you know what happens when you assume, they will assume <laughs> that black folks mm -hmm. had no role, right. which is a false narrative. Right, right, right. So I hate this. We have run out of time. We are literally, I'm getting like all kinds of signals around me that I have to wrap up this conversation, but I know that we could go for days talking about this. And so I just want to take a moment to thank both of you all for for your courage and for your commitment to researching and documenting and uncovering these stories. And I thank you for your commitment to the classroom and to education and making sure that these students that are coming through get this American history taught and told to them the way that it should have been taught and told and explained since day one. Mm -hmm. We salute you and we thank you and we will be praying for you as you fight this for courageous fight in two states where it is very challenging to tell these stories. You can always count on herd strategies and how they see us to be behind you. If you need to come back on and talk again about the fight and we spread the word, you let us know you always have a place here with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening. I need to also thank Kiara Santolin and Malik Harris, who are our director and producer of this podcast. They're the ones that put all this together and said, we've got to talk about this and we've got to get these two uh, doctors, Dr. Heard <laughs> Clark and Dr. Fletcher here, these amazing, amazing academicians here to talk about this, a very important topic. So thank you all for that. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, thank you um, for joining this episode of How They See Us. Don't forget to subscribe to How They See Us, our regular podcast series. We're available on all podcast platforms. And, and until then, until we connect again, uh, you take care and I will see you soon. Mm -hmm.
Thank you. Thank you.